Salute omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 5A, De Bello Gallico, Book 4, Chapters 24 and 25. In this episode, you will learn that invading Britain is hard and that the eagle bearer of the 10th legion is awesome. At barbari concilio Romanorum cognito, Primiso equitatu et esedariis, quo plerumque genera in proleis uti consuerunt, reliquis copiis subsecuti nostros nauibus egredi prohibebant. Erat abhas causas summa difficultas, quod naues propter magnitudinem nisi in alto constitui non poterant. Militibus autem ignotis locis, impeditis manibus, magno et gravi onora armorum oppressis, simul, et de nauibus deciliendum, et influctibus consistendum, et cum hostibus erat pugnandum. Cum illi, aut ex arido, aut palum in aquam progressi, omnibus membris expeditis, notissimis locis, audacter, tela conicerent, et equos insue factos incitarent. Quibus rebus nostri perteriti, atque huius omnino generis pugnae imperiti, Non eadem alacritate ac studio quo in pedestribus uti proleis consuerunt ute bantur. Quod ubi caesar animadvertit, naves longas quarum et species erat barbaris, inusitatior et motus ad usum expeditior, paulum removeri ab onerariis nauibus et remis incitari et ad latus apertum hostium constitui, Atque inde fundis sagitis tormentis hostes propelli, ac submoeri usit, quae res magno usui nostris fuit. Nam et nauium figura et remorum motu et inusitato genera tormentorum per moti barbari constiterunt, ac paulum modo pedem retulerunt. Atque nostris militibus cunctantibus, maxime propter altitudinem maris, Qui decimae legiones aquilam ferebat, obtestatus deos, ut eares legioni feliciter eveniret. Desilite inquit, milites, nisi vultus aquilam hostibus prodere. Ego certe meum republicae atque imperatori officium praestitero. Hoc cum voce magna dixisset, se ex naui projecit, atque in hostes aquilam fere coipit. Tum nostri cohortati inter se, ne tantum dedecus admitteretur, universi ex naui desiluerunt. Hos item ex proximis primi nauibus, cum conspexisant, subsecuti hostibus a propinquarunt. But the barbarians, when the plan of the Romans had been perceived, after the cavalry and the chariots had been sent forward, a type which they were very much accustomed to use in battles, having followed with the remaining forces, were preventing our men from leaving the ships. There was, for these reasons, the greatest difficulty. 
because the ships, on account of their size, were not able to be parked except in deep water. Moreover, the soldiers in unknown places with encumbered hands, weighed down by the large and heavy weight of their armor, at the same time had to both jump down from the ships and stand in the waves and fight with the enemies. When they, either from dry land or having advanced a little into the water, with all their limbs unencumbered, in very well-known places, boldly threw their weapons and urged on their well-trained horses. Our men, terrified because of these things and completely unskilled in this type of battle, were not using the same enthusiasm and zeal which they were accustomed to use in infantry battles. Which, when Caesar realized, the longships, whose appearance was both more unaccustomed to the barbarians and whose movement was more unencumbered for use, he ordered to be removed a little bit from the transport ships and to be urged on by oars and to be parked near the exposed flank of the enemy, and from there the enemy to be pushed back and driven off by slings, arrows, and stone throwers, a thing which was of great use to our men. For, disturbed both by the shape of the ships and by the motion of the oars and by the unaccustomed type of missiles, the barbarians stopped and even stepped back a little. And while our men were hesitating, mostly because of the depth of the sea, he who was bearing the eagle of the tenth legion, having implored the gods that this thing turn out favorably for the legion, said, Jump down, soldiers, unless you want to hand the eagle to the enemies. I certainly will have performed my duty to the Republic and to the commander. When he had said this in a loud voice, he hurled himself from the ship and began to carry the eagle into the enemy. Then our men, having encouraged one another that so great a shame not be permitted, all leapt down from the ship. Likewise, when they in the closest ships had caught sight of these men, having followed close after, they approached the enemy. This episode moves us into Book 4 of Caesar's Commentaries, where in the beginning of the book there is some trouble with the Germans, which Caesar eventually puts down. But in the text leading up to these sections, Caesar has made the decision to travel to Britain because, as he explains, the Gauls have been getting help from the Britons and because he just wants to see the island. He sends Commius, a member of the Atribas tribe, whom Caesar had elevated to king, ahead of himself as an ambassador of sorts to prepare the way and ask the Britons to accept his visit in goodwill. Caesar procures ships and sails to Britain with two legions worth of soldiers on transport ships, instructing his cavalry to follow him from a different port. The cavalry leave later than Caesar, and as they are sailing across the channel to Britain, they get blown off course, which will come into play later in the narrative. As Caesar approaches the coast of Britain, he sees the British forces arranged on the coast ready for him, and that is where we enter the narrative. In these sections, Caesar encounters a near disaster while landing on the shore, and he has to spin the story in such a way that he and the Roman forces still emerge in a positive light. He does so by highlighting the unfavorable conditions and extreme adversity the Romans faced, mentioning but downplaying his soldiers' fearful reaction to these conditions, and emphasizing individual heroism. In one long, run-on sentence, Caesar sets up the contrast between the adversity his men face with deep water, heavy armor, encumbered hands, and unknown terrain, versus the Britons, who know the land, wear light armor, and have free hands and horses. Because of the myriad of factors that Caesar explains are causing adversity for his men, they are terrified and will not leave the ships. Caesar, realizing the situation his men are facing, makes a quick command decision. He uses the long ships to attack the enemy's flank, causing confusion and causing the Britons to withdraw their attack a little bit and give the Romans time to form ranks. However, the soldiers are still hesitant to disembark from the ships. It is here that Caesar highlights the bold actions of the eagle-bearer of the 10th Legion. 
The tenth is Caesar's most trusted legion. He often uses them in situations where he needs to get the job done, even going so far as to disguise them as cavalry in Book 1 when meeting with the German king Ariovistus. The eagle standard was the banner of the legion, but it held great symbolic importance to soldiers as a representation of the power and reputation of the legion, venerated much like the American flag is to U.S. soldiers in present day. To lose an eagle was considered an extremely shameful occurrence, and the Roman military often went to great lengths both to protect a standard and to recover it if lost. So the eagle-bearer's actions of hurling himself alone off the ship and putting the eagle in danger of capture were the motivation the legionnaires needed. The rest of the soldiers in his ship follow closely after him, and the others nearby do the same. The shame of losing their eagle was enough to overcome their fear of the hazards of the beachhead landing. When describing the actions of the eagle-bearer, Caesar doesn't use the dry, detached style we have seen thus far. Instead, he dramatizes the scene. The eagle-bearer is vividly depicted uttering a prayer, giving an impassioned speech to the other soldiers, and hurling himself alone off of the ship and into the enemy. The narrative takes on a much more dramatic quality at this point, engrossing the audience in the scene and the heroism of the one soldier creating suspense as he rushes alone into the enemy, and causing relief and excitement when the rest follow his lead and join battle. Caesar will do this from time to time, especially during battle scenes, pointing out individual acts of bravery or heroism. At these points, the narrative becomes much closer in style to something we might read out of Virgil, and Caesar's otherwise dry writing style serves to heighten the moments where he chooses to dramatize the events. The battle is joined in earnest, but we will see next time that Caesar still has problems to deal with. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Caesar deflect the potential blame off of himself and his leadership in his description of the disastrous beach landing? What role does attitude, frame of mind, and emotion play in a high-risk situation such as this battle? What impression does Caesar give of his own leadership? Does he appear to be doing what is necessary to ensure the safety of his men? Why does Caesar mention the standard-bearer's prayer to the gods? How important is religion for Caesar, for soldiers in battle, for the Romans as a whole? How does including the eagle-bearer's direct speech make the narrative of the battle more dramatic and vivid? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete.